You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. That is good to hear. Um, If you have a Bible with you, if you would, turn to the book of Titus. It's in the New Testament, toward the back of the New Testament. Titus, and we're going to look at chapter 3 of the book of Titus. Chapter 3 of the book of Titus. And those of you that are joining us online, thank you for tuning in. We are just excited to share church with you and to worship the Lord together with you and to hear from Him through His Word uh, with you. So thank you for joining and, and being a part uh, this morning. Uh, again, one announcement that I want to make sure we, we don't forget, but in two weeks, uh, not next week, but the week after, on the 29th, we will be going back to having one service. That'll be the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We'll be here at 1030, um, and we'll, we're going to do our normal service. Children will uh, be in the service at the very beginning, and then they'll be dismissed. We're going to do church just like we used to do it before COVID and before we um, uh, went to two services. So we'll do that, and we'll do that until um, early January. Then we'll switch back to two services until uh, COVID is over. And on that front, great news this week, huh? We got a vaccine that's, been a, that's, that's out. Isn't that terrific news? Uh, please, give the Lord a hand. Give... That's exciting news. And from what we understand, uh, from, what I, from the news report, this is, I guess, in the month of December, they're going to be vaccinating uh, the most vulnerable. I think 10 million people will get vaccinated in the month of December. In the month of January, all the healthcare workers will be vaccinated. And then it will spread. And they think by March, April, uh, it will have covered the population. That's just that one vaccine. There's actually four to five other vaccines that are almost developed. And will also be out. So this may be over quicker than we think, um, which wouldn't bother me at all. I don't know about you. I am. Anybody here tired of breathing? I've got glasses. You may have noticed, and I don't know if it, is everybody. I don't know if everybody with glasses struggles this way, but my glasses fog up. I think it like terribly fogged up. And, and in fact, I, I just was a sucker. I, my the people that sold me the glasses just online. I won't mention their name, but they uh, they sold this for seventeen dollars. This cleaner. And I can get cleaner at Walmart for two bucks. But, and it said it will stop mist. So I was like, well, that's worth 17 bucks. And it didn't. It just didn't work. I'm like, oh, I'm a chump. I'm gonna, I was going to send it back, but I don't have the time. But it's like, oh, man. Uh, so this is, this, is a, this is a drag, and I'm looking forward to it being over. And I, I, I believe, you know, after spring break, Easter time, we're going to be in here rocking and rolling just like normal. And very excited about that. Until then, please don't get sick. Please be careful. Keep your mask on. You wash your hands. Do everything you're supposed to do. Uh, let's make sure we, we make it. Till then, I had a good friend who uh, got COVID uh, a week ago. And he's not any pain or threat. But he just it's lingered for almost two weeks. So let's, let's do our best, if we can, um, to try to, to not get that as, as we get close to the finish line. Everybody, everybody good with that? Excited about that? All right, Titus. We, start a, we started a series last week, 
And we just call it trustworthy sayings. And, and this is a phrase you will see in the Bible, in a particular part of the Bible, which we call uh, the pastoral epistles. And those are three of the letters written by Paul. They are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. And they were written by him to two of his protégés, one, of course, Timothy, who is pastoring a large church in a big city called Ephesus. And the other was a young man named Titus, who is pastoring a church that had been started uh, in a Greek island uh, called Crete. And these guys were... Uh, leading these churches, and Paul wrote them letters, and basically in those letters just gave them practical solutions to the things they were facing. Practical solutions to, to pastoral challenges in their church, to personal, encourage them personally and about things that were going on, and he just said, hey look, you know, this is what you want to do over and over again, and, and in these letters, throughout them, there are, there are a handful of times Paul will quote what he calls a trustworthy saying. And these we understood were initially when Christianity began, when Christians were communicating and teaching their primary, most seminal, most important beliefs to their new congregants, their new, to the new converts, they would kind of describe their theology, sort of encapsulate it in these really short, pithy, condensed phrases that would contain a lot of theology, but they were packed, very dense phrases. So in these uh, letters, these what we call pastoral letters, Paul would quote these. And it's a kind of a cool thing for you Don, to be able to, to understand how you apply truth, how the gospel, how Christianity applies to real life situations. Now, Last week, we looked at one of these sayings that was found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And that the saying was, Paul said, there is, for us, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people at the proper time. That was a a trustworthy statement, something that they taught, something they learned very early in Christianity that all most of the congregations would have memorized, that phrase. And what Paul was talking about was a situation that was going on in that church. It was going on in probably many churches all over the country, all over the world at that time. It's people were very discontent about their political leaders. And, you know, there would be uh, you know, grumblings and complainings. And so Paul was basically telling him, hey, look, um, here's your attitude I want you to have about your political leaders. I want you to be thankful. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray that you live a life that is quiet and peaceable. And in, a, in other words, I don't want any of their policies or anything they do to intrude on the gospel advancing. That's what you ought to pray for. And that's what you ought to shoot for. And pray for them. And then he makes this phrase. He says, you know, because remember, God is our Savior. Now, back then, everybody had a phrase, and, when, and, and they would call a person uh, their Savior over and over again. That person was Caesar, the leader of the world, the leader of the empire. They believed the emperor was their Savior. In other words, the emperor had the solutions to the world's problems. 
And Paul says, no, 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 for us, we understand that's not the case. We don't believe anybody in political office or who holds political authority has answers to anything just by, the, by being able to force their will on people. That's not how we see answers coming. We, we understand that Jesus Christ, our God, is our Savior. And he began to um, talk about how we just need to have a different paradigm and a different way of thinking about politics and about the impact of civil authorities on our life. We understand that Jesus is the one who brings uh, true salvation. Political solutions, there's a vanity to them. Political solutions are honestly like blowing leaves in the fall. I blow leaves almost every day in the fall. I have a battery-operated leaf blower so I can do this. I just blow the driveway. Blow. You, you know what it's like? It's the most vain thing in the world. You have to do it. But it's just, you know, the next day they're back. It's just, and, and in political solutions, what you'll find out is today's problems were yesterday's solutions. That's just how it is in politics. Today's problems were yesterday's solutions. Things we complain about today were great ideas 20, 30, 40 years ago. Things that need to be changed were things that were working, were, were new and great and fresh and worked several years ago. And there's just a vanity to it. Because politics may change systems and structures, but it doesn't change people. The gospel of Christ changes people. And what we do not want to do, we want to be careful to do, is not believe forcing our will. Because political solutions are force. It is in the imposition of will. It's making people pay more in taxes. It's making people follow certain laws or certain guidelines. We do not believe that is what really brings salvation to humanity. We want good laws, but we believe it's when the human being is changed is that salvation is really experienced. And we ought to be very careful about getting too caught up in, in too... Uh, caught up with the belief that a politician or a political solu solution is really an answer. We should be very careful about that. When, when Jesus was speaking in his day, he talked about beware of, of two things, false Christ and false prophets. Anybody remember that in the, in, the, in the Gospels? You read that, Jesus will say, beware of false Christ and false, false prophets. And when we read that today, what we think of is, Oh, yeah, beware of a cult. Beware of false religions. Beware of the leaders who start false religious movements that aren't true and false prophets that teach things that aren't true. They teach heresy. They, they twist the Bible around. And, and when Jesus was saying that, that's not what he meant. When Jesus was talking about false Christ. And false prophets, he was talking about false messiahs, false political leaders that were arising in Israel and were, were all over. And prophets who would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, this is my guy. And they were lying. And the messiahs weren't the real messiah. And they were inciting the people to political revolution. And, and this actually happened in 70 AD to the Jewish people. There was a guy named Simon Bargoria, and there was about six others, uh, different guys who claimed to be messiahs, who, and prophets would tell the people, this is the guy. And, and they rallied, and they, they, they um, revolted against the Roman Empire, and Rome came in and destroyed them. 
And Jesus warned them against these kind of guys. And he, gets, he warns us through that to be very careful about believing in politicians. And you should vote, all that's fine. But be very careful about that. Be very careful about that. And so that was last week. We wanted to understand that our attitude about political authorities, we had a reason from this, this trustworthy saying that Jesus is the one who mediates the will of God. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who brings it for all people. But then I want to read this one here today, this new trustworthy saying. It's in the book of Titus, it's in chapter 3. Let me read verse 1 through 8 to you, and, and we'll look at it a bit. Titus 3, 1 through 8. Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceful and considerate. Always be gentle toward everyone. Verse 3, because at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions, pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared he saved us those are three powerful words I would underline them if I was you he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, this is a what? Trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress this, stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are, effort, are excellent and profitable to everyone. Well, let's, let's kind of scan through and look at some of the things he's saying there. First thing, and if you look at verse 1 and 2, he's just, again, reiterating what he had told Timothy earlier. Be subject to authorities, uh, to rulers. Don't slander them. Be peaceful. Be gentle. Do whatever is good. And then he gets into verse and he says something, uh, again, it's, I think it's very interesting. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived. We too were that way. And she's going to give them a basis for not looking down on people. What's the basis for us not slandering people, not looking down on people, not judging people, not having a bad spirit? He's saying it's because you too once were like this you once were like them you once had these struggles you once were this type of person you too were like that don't be judgmental don't be judgmental toward others you know one of the things if you read this letter that Paul is going to emphasize and going to work all throughout this letter is this idea of a stereotype when he writes to Titus initially, he says, you know what? When you think about the people of Crete, there's a, there's a real negative stereotype that was circulated about the people of Crete. In fact, even today, 
Some people will use the term Cretan as a sneer of people. It, it, it just simply meant, and, and Paul even talks about how uh, they were often accused of being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And he kind of goes, you know, that's, that's, that stereotype's often too true. And so he saw with Titus and the people he was pastoring and the community he was trying to reach, he goes, you know what, if we could get the Cretans that are believers to stop being Cretans and start being Christians, it will be powerful. It will make an impact. It will make an impression on the people around us. If people can stop being what they were and start being what they are, we can make a powerful impact. We can make a powerful impression. So this is the way Paul's orienting himself toward Titus. He says, I want to create, and I hate to use this phrase, I just don't know a better one, but I want to create a brand for the people of Crete of what it means to be a Christian. I want to create a brand that when someone says they're a Christian, there are certain expectations, certain bells ring off, and those bells are good. They're ideal. Today, what do you think rings off in people's minds when they say, hear that you're a Christian? If you ask unbelievers, what do you think of Christians? How would you describe them? What words do you think they'd use? About 10 years ago, there actually was a survey of this. And there was a book written about it called Unchristian. And they asked unbelievers, what are your impressions of Christians? Here's what they said were, they thought were generally true, things that were sort of true of Christians. 87% said that Christians are judgmental. 87%. We follow somebody who literally is famous for saying, judge not. But 87% think they're judgmental. 85% thought Christians were hypocritical. 85%. So Christians really don't live what they believe. 85%. 78% said so they thought Christians were too political. And then 72% said they believed Christians were anti-intellectual. Anti-intellectual. We have some parents here in the audience. How many of you want to raise a child that is judgmental, hypocritical, too political, and anti-intellectual? Anybody here want to, that's just what you want as a, no you don't. And so we, we can see this, this is a, something we need to think about. How do we change that? How do we turn that around? And this is what Paul's writing about to Titus. How to turn this impression around. How do we go from what we were to what we are, what we should be? What is the ideal brand? What is the ideal stereotype that, that should be developed of a Christian? So he goes to this thing and he says, one, he just talks about, hey, don't be judgmental of people. Don't be judgmental, the first three verses. Don't be judgmental. Don't look down on people particularly not political authorities, but nobody. And he says, in fact, what I want you to do is just do good. 
Don't complain about people. Don't complain about what they are like. Don't complain about categories of people. What I want you to be about is doing good. Doing good. And I would, I would use this phrase that I think is so important to live in life. It's just the idea of going low. As Christians, we should be characterized by this spirit that we go low. We go low. We serve. We get underneath. We're, we, we're deprecating toward ourselves in our own positions. We go low. And he tells you why. Because you and I once were the same way. We're no different. We're no better. God didn't save us because we, we're good. We didn't earn this. We were, we were given it. You know, there's a phrase that is used sometimes to describe people who have had a very privileged background and a very privileged start in life who think they're a winner. And it's called, that guy is born on third base, but he acts like he hit a triple. You get that, baseball fans? Somebody who thinks, hey, I was born on third base. They were actually born on third base, but they think they hit a triple. In other words, they think they got to where they are because of something they did, not something that was given to them. You know, it is so wrong for Christians to look down on people because we got where we are, not because of something we did. It was completely given to us. It was completely God's work, all of him. Our salvation is unconditional. It is not if you will do this, it is because he has done this. It's unconditional. It is 100% him. There is nothing about either one of us, nothing we've done, nothing we've thought, nothing we've, we've been involved with that incline God to save you or love you or like you or initiate himself to you. There is nothing about us. Our salvation is completely because he is good, not because we're good. There's an old episode of a great show back in the day that most of you are too young to even know of called Dennis the Menace. The young here, any of the young ever seen Dennis the Menace on the old black and white? Well, good for you. Very proud. Of, of our young people who have, who have watched your parents' old cartoons and find, it, find out where we came from. So that's good. Uh, Dennis the Menace, uh, was, was a, there was, a, there was a, a, a grumpy old man that was the next-door neighbor of Dennis the Menace called Mr. Wilson. I think it was George Wilson, and there was Miss Wilson. And Miss Wilson was really sweet. And one day, Miss Wilson made Dennis and his friend a big thing of chocolate chip cookies. And Dennis the Menace and his friends were talking about, what did we do for Miss Wilson to make us these cookies? And Dennis said, you know, I don't think she's making them because we're good. I think she made them for us because she's good. Salvation is not because you and I are good. It's because God is good. And this is what he's saying. And it's something, though, we forget. It's something we forget, and when we forget it, we really taint the gospel. We taint, if you will, the Christian brand. We create a stereotype of Christianity that is really adversarial to what, what God wants here. And he goes on here as Paul continues, we were this way. In verse 4, he begins the actual trustworthy statement. 
So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. First, he says, for when the kindness and love of our God appeared, he saved us. Who does the saving? God does. Again, it is all him. 100%, God does all the saving. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Again, he saved us. And here's how he saved us. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. If I ask you, what makes you a Christian? What would you say? What makes you a Christian? Well, this is my religion. I was raised in it. I went to church. I believe it's true. I understand it's theology. Maybe we've had some ritual we've gone through where we've been baptized or immersed or christened as an infant. And we, we kind of kind of can sometimes understand this makes me a Christian. It's something I was raised in, something I have sort of come into through ritual or learning or understanding or whatever. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. Paul shares here what it means to be a Christian. And what he says, it, it, he uses this phrase, it is the washing of rebirth. Jesus once told a religious leader in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? What does it mean to be born again? Or as Paul uses the phrase, the washing of rebirth. What does that mean? We were all born human beings. Did you ever notice that about yourself? We're all human beings, right? Born human beings. And as human beings, we are born and, and we, have, we have this. We are alive physically, the Bible teaches. But there's another dynamic about all human beings. They are all not just alive physically, but they are dead spiritually. Dead spiritually. And this is the way Paul describes it, is that because we are dead spiritually, here's the, the, the consequences of it. You and I all sin naturally. We sin naturally. Every parent here knows when you're raising your wonderful children you don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Do you ever notice that? They do it quite well, don't they? You don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to fight. You don't have to teach them how to rebel, disobey. I always do this to illustrate with you, and, it, and that, that lingers in our lives. This rebellious desire to sin, it's just our nature. If I look at every one of you today and I say, don't you look at the ceiling. Don't you look at the ceiling. Don't do it. What do you want to do? You want to go, you can go ahead and look up if you want to, just to get it out of you. Look at the ceiling. It's, it's just human nature. There's something about us that is naturally sinful, naturally defiant. Paul says we sin naturally, and then we also sin habitually. We just don't stop. We can't stop. In fact, Jesus taught it this way. If a man sins, he will actually become a slave of that sin. 
And we all know what it's like, if you're a human being, to know what it's like to feel enslaved by sin, to actually have things you don't want to do, things you know are destructive, things that are embarrassing, things that are just, are just not you, but you still can't stop doing them. It's being spiritually dead. And it's not just our moral life. It can actually be our, our emotional life. There are certain emotions that come out of our life because of spiritual death, certain fears, certain phobias, certain tendencies that are very unhealthy. And it is, it is this, you know, God made this beautiful creation in his image called the human being, and it, it turned into something else when Adam sinned. From the inside out, it turned into something else, something dark, something defiled, something very contaminant happened within every human being. And salvation is about dealing with that issue. And the washing of rebirth is to turn that around. It literally means that when we receive Christ as Lord, our sins are washed away. They are washed away. They, we are purified. We are cleaned. They are put out of existence. And we have been reborn, recreated, our insides, the immaterial part of us that animates us, that drives us, that fuels our thinking, has been completely changed. It literally talks about it going from darkness to light. It is a complete difference. That is what has happened within us. The washing of rebirth. In the Old Testament, there's a book called the Book of Zechariah, a really wild book. You ought to read it sometime. A lot of visions and a lot of, it's apocalyptic a really cool book. But in chapter 3 of the book of Zechariah, one of these visions this prophet has is of a priest named Joshua. And he comes before the Lord, and his, his garment that he's wearing is soiled, and it stinks. It's dirty, and it's defiled, and there's just stuff all over it. It's nasty. And he's coming before God in a nasty garment. I wouldn't feel great about that. You ever have a big moment in your life and you spill something and you're just going before this big moment with a big stain? This guy's garments were completely stained before Almighty God and it's not a good, good thing. And God takes his stained garment and he washes it and cleanses it and he put, turns it to where it's bristling white and he puts it back on him and he's just standing before God now and his dazzling, brilliant white garment. And then God says something to him. He says, this is symbolic of what I will do in one day. There's going to be one day where I will do this. I will take the defilement, I'll take the soiled, I'll take the dirt, and I will cleanse it, and the people who experience it will be just like you Joshua the high priest, they will stand before me glistening with bright white garments. This is what it means to be washed. The prophet Ezekiel, God told him, 
I will take you, I will wash you, and you will be clean, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I'll give you a new heart, and I'll cause the Holy Spirit to live in you, and you'll be able to walk in my commandments. God was saying, I am going to change you from the inside out, from the very deep core of your being, and it's going to come all the way out to, to, to turn you into a different person. That's what I'm going to do. Paul says, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, supernaturally transforming who we are deep in our core, powerfully and decisively, forever. That's what it means to be a Christian. If that's happened to you, you are a Christian. If it hasn't, we'd love to see it happen to you. That's what it means. The washing of rebirth. And then he has another phrase here. Not only are we saved by the washing of rebirth, but also by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Now what does he mean by that? Got this washing of rebirth. There's this renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Being made new again and again and again and again. There's one time when Jesus was with his disciples... And he did something kind of amazing, kind of remarkable. They came in from a long trip. It was toward the end of his life. And they were all, had their feet dirty. And usually in those days, whenever somebody came into a nice home um, and they had dirty feet, a servant would come and he, it was a very lowly job. They'd take a, a vat of water and they would come and they'd wash everybody's feet. And they'd clean their feet off, kind of give them a little foot massage. It'd be kind of a neat thing. You know, just wash their feet off, rub their feet a little bit. And Jesus actually did this. They're like, what on earth? He got down, he washed everybody's feet, and, and he came to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, we're done. He said, oh, well, if that's the case, wash all of me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've already cleaned. You just need your feet washed. Somebody who's already been cleansed just needs their feet washed. And this is what Paul's talking about. We're washed by, the, by, the re, by rebirth, but we all need our feet washed. We need the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. It's making that experience new again, fresh again, real again, clear again. We lose clarity on what it means to be forgiven. We lose clarity on what it means to be recreated, to be born again, to have the life of Christ residing in our soul. He says, man, here's part of salvation. It's not just having this experience. It's experiencing this experience again and again and again and again. Being renewed. Becoming reacquainted with your salvation. Getting comfortable with the fact you're forgiven. Getting comfortable with the fact you are clean in the sight of God. Discovering what it means to have Christ live in your heart. It is the washing of regeneration. Washing of rebirth. And then it's the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. See, we could say this. I have been saved, but I'm also being saved. And that's what it means to experience salvation. Not that you have this moment in time, 
which is a wonderful moment in time. But for that moment in time to be unpacked, to be developed, to work into your consciousness, to affect the way you understand yourself and ultimately affect the way you live and the way you think. The washing of regeneration and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And I love what he says about it there. You know, he says, you know what? This Holy Spirit has been poured out generously. Here's what the idea, he says, you know, this is you and me. Got a little something in there. Everybody see that? Got a little something in your soul there, right? A little bit of Christ in your soul. Here's what he says. Oh, he pours it out. A little more, right? Renewed. A little more. Renewed. A little more. Renewed. Oh, my goodness. Pouring out. A little more. A little more. This is what the Christian, this is what you and I ought to look like. God pouring the Holy Spirit generously in us, being poured out, being overflowing with his power and his presence and his renewing energy so that what we become what we are. We no longer act like what we were. We act like what we are. So Paul's writing to these people and he's saying, hey, look, your culture is a mess. The people around you are a mess. I want to show them what the solution really is. And it's in the way you live. It's in the salvation you experience and how it affects your life. And he goes on here, and let's just close this passage out. Verse 6, he poured you out, poured out generously through Jesus our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Again, we're going to go to heaven when we die. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Using crazy props even. I'm sure Titus did something like this. Stress these things. So those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves in doing what is good. This is profitable and it's excellent. I mean, that's, that's the way a Christian stereotype. Profitable, excellent. Profitable, excellent. Beneficial. Making a difference. Excellent. It's a great brand. That's what stereotypical Christianity looks like. And that's how we get there. Let me just summarize three things that I think... Paul makes a point here about number one, in your disposition in life, as people who have been saved by grace, we have been saved because completely because of what he did. Nothing we did. Let's go low. How should people that have experienced the salvation you've experienced from a loving, kind God, how should we treat the world around us? Go low. Just go low. Here's the second thing he says. Renew your rebirth. Keep it fresh in your soul. Keep it fresh in your heart what it means to be forgiven. How wonderful it is. Keep it fresh in your life that Christ lives within you. 
Keep it fresh in your life. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on you, and you have resources that are supernatural that are working to unpack the miracle of you in Christ. Renew your rebirth. And the third thing, what he says in verse 1, what he says in verse 8, do what's good. Don't be a fan of what's good. Don't applaud what's good. Don't like what's good. Do what is good. Do what's good. That is what it means in Paul's mind, in the Holy Spirit's mind, to be stereotypically Christian. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible ideal that is laid out in this passage of what uh, Christian life can look like what it can be, and what a gift it would be to our world. What a gift to Athens, Georgia it would be if we as believers just put the powerful truths of this passage into play. That we went low. We just did not have a judgmental attitude about people. We went low. If we renewed our rebirth and we devoted ourselves to doing what is good, What a powerful impression that would make on our city, on our community, on our friends, on our family. Lord, give us grace and passion to want to live this out. Give us a love for you that believes whatever barriers, whatever sacrifices, whatever whatever encumbrances we may have to living this out, we'd muscle through them, we'd get through them in pursuit of you and your glory, that your name would be glorified in our city, and in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.